Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome back to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. We're with the living legend, Bobby McMullen today. Uh, Blind Bobby McMullen, who is a downhill mountain bike racer, who races downhill mountain bikes blind. This is this is amazing. And Bobby, I mean, this is just, it blows me away. I tell people all the time, two kidney and pancreas transplants, two bouts with cancer, two open heart surgeries, more broken bones than Evil Knievel. And you said to me, and I don't know, Evil Knievel's people might come back to me and say, no, no, Evil had one more or something like that. But you've said to me, you've never had a bad day. Is that true? I mean, is that, and do you think that's part of DNA or do you think it's like, I mean, have you, have you looked at it consciously? How do you, how do you approach it? Or is it one of those that you're just, uh, you know, if you're going to be dumb, you, you better be tough kind of thing. You're not smart enough to figure it out. What's the, what's the answer? Uh, I think it's a combination of all those things. You know, if you're not kind of evaluating who you are on a regular basis or why you are, the way people perceive you, you know, you're not, I don't think, I think that's a really necessary part of growth, but people ask me all the time, how do you on a daily basis deal with your disabilities, your list of injuries? And as I grow older, you know, there's, there's repercussions to these life choices I've made, but, um, you know, all along, I've always taken that question to heart. How can you say that? And I do attribute it and I, you know, the, the memories are graying, but, you know, growing up and, you know, growing up in a big family and being the only boy and being a diabetic at age 12, I did receive a lot of attention and support. And I was also raised by a great father and mother combination that gave me a certain set of values and behaviors that brought me in into places where, you know, I mean, I've, I've always been a yes or no, sir kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Um, you know, they, they taught me common courtesies and they taught me how to listen and they taught me how to love and be loved and to first and foremost, love myself. And part of that upbringing has always, they never ever questioned, nor has any one of my friends said, you should not do that. Or, wow, you busted your shit up enough. When are you going to actually learn how to ride a bike? Or <laughs> when are you going to learn how to ski? You go skiing all the time. You know, and, and no one's ever said, uh, unless it's some internet hack making a comment about something, but people dear to me that I value their opinions have never said, you need to slow down. And they will follow, and it's always been followed up with, thank you for being here because you. And I've never set out to be that guy. I've never set out to be this person. I've never looked in the mirror and said, this is how I want to be. I've always looked in the mirror and said, this is who I am. And Does that get instilled from your parents? I mean, when I, you, I, I don't, or your family or, cause you had I, six older sisters too. I mean, you still have six older sisters, right? So yeah. Yeah. And uh, two younger, four older. Okay. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, you had the gamut of, of sisters and personalities and, and people, the humans that they are today uh, are, are brilliant and, and accomplished. And I like to see, I just kind of maybe 
I don't want to use the term fell in line with that, but I followed their examples. Um, I'm a great mimic. I mimic everything I do. It's a behavior I borrowed from parents. I borrowed from my sisters. I borrowed from you. I borrowed from a Sarah Will, Jason Lala. I, I, I borrow from the Andy Friesens or people that support me. There's things that, you know, there's nothing original that I have. It's a compilation of people that have come into my life and experiences good and bad. And to wake up every morning, those experiences, Chris, give me that fire, that desire after procedures or operations or diagnoses that could leave a guy with his hands, you know, on his knees, bent over with tears in his eyes. I've had those moments, but it's that desire to keep living the life I've been given and just recognizing that today's a gift, tomorrow's a long way away and that life is going to show up every day and trying to explain who I am. I don't think I really could. I just know who I am. I like who I am. I still need to improve at 58 and I'm learning lessons from a six-year-old. So guess what? Tomorrow morning, I put my feet on the ground and I am stoked. I might be a little slower because my back hurts or my knees whacked or whatever life has brought to me that day. But the overwhelming joy I have from simply getting up and living has always been there. And that goes to. It's funny because I remember, I remember driving with you when you were, when your, when your kidneys and pancreas were shutting down and, and we're driving along and you said, Hey, Hey, stop the car. You got out of the car. You know, you're turning your stomach inside out. Get back, you know, rub Folks, the- that meant that meant puking. <laughs> <laughs> wiping, wipe, wiping your mouth with the back of your hand, going, all right, let's go. And and I think for a lot of people, that's amazing, you know, just because because it is, it's a painful existence. It's painful in a social kind of way to have to to have to stop and say, hey can you stop? I'm, I'm going to be sick right now. But, but you plowed right through it. And, and, and is part of that, the, the sense of maintaining the quality of life that you have, that you want to have, like, Hey, I'm not going to let this stop me. We're going to keep going. Yeah, that happened, but boom. That's right on point. The quality of life I have I always have through the darkest of moments to the most brilliant of moments is it's, it's been a, an amazing ride in that I've been poor, not a dollar to my name, wondering where the next check is. I have fought my way off of social assistance because when you get on dialysis, they don't let you have anything. And that's, yeah. that's tough to do. I run a small business and been relatively successful at it. But each step of the way, you know, even now as I'm getting older, you know, I've managed to make transitions and it is based just on that, my quality of life and the things I have in front of me on any given day might be things people will highbrow and go, I'm not quite sure I could do that. And that's, I'm not going to, you know, that's okay. I mean, you talked about DNA, maybe I have the DNA of a cockroach. I mean, you just can't kill me. And plenty of shit is tried and I make light of it 
But in instances like with you, you're asked to talk to people and they have one particular moment in their life, a transplant that they're facing and they want to talk to someone who can relate. Well, I can relate to transplants. I can relate to kidney failure, dialysis, open heart surgeries, heart disease, broken bones, cancer. I can relate blindness, you know, um, I, I, I have no chip on my shoulder from it, but I have this experience that I have, I, I said this before when we talked, I don't know about heaven, dude. I don't. My parents were Catholics, right? Straight across church every day. I was an altar boy until I was 16, but I don't know what the afterlife's offered. There may be nothing. And I'd ask people to ask themselves when they're looking at their quality of life, their life choices, what they're having to face and look, look in the mirror and, and dig deep on this one is like, what if, you know, what if this is heaven? What this if is good this is it? This is, and you, you ought to make it count. And I've always tried to make every day count. And that could be feet up on the count, you know, play with my kid. It could be drinking beer with you. It's not like I'm leaving this, you know, uh, tumble fest of life where I'm riding my bike fast, trying to do things that a blind guy shouldn't do on a bike or skiing. You know, it's not, you know, it's not all that. It's just appreciating every moment that we're giving because we talked about this before. We can't have these moments back and I'm not going to spend it because I don't feel good laying in bed all day. I'm not going to spend it, you know, worrying about Oh God, how long is this going to last? I'm going to figure out a way, get through it and experience that day, no matter how bad it might be the best I can. And where did that gift come from? God, I wish I knew because I would give it to everybody I could. Cause there's a lot of people that I think could benefit from looking at their lives. Like, man, this is the fourth quarter, baby. And don't wait till the last two minutes, you know, or, 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 or live like it's the last two minutes. The old cliche, live like today's the last thing, you know, what's the last thing you're going to be remembered for? Hopefully that's being a good dad, a great father, good friend, and that, you know, didn't waste his time here. I mean, I'm no millionaire. I'm not a politician. I'm not affecting lives in the way some people have chosen to do. But hopefully by the way we choose to live our lives, you know, people will learn something from it because I do say, and I can say this, man, if I could do it, you can. I am nothing special. And you know that. You've hung out with me. I am nothing special. <laughs> I know that you say that. I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> when I was in the hospital after my accident, there was a moment where I thought, you know, I've kind of seen the worst that I could possibly see. You know, it's a paralyzing accident. You know, like, that's it. Like, that's the worst that it can happen without necessarily dying. And there was this bit of a revelation for me, this epiphany where I thought, well, if that's the worst thing that can happen, like, I'm good. There's nothing to worry about. Did you ever, have you ever had that kind of moment where you said, okay, this is the change in perspective. I could spend my life worrying or I could spend my life just doing. Well, um, I, I just, uh, you know, that moment we had to go home and tell, you know, my folks, I'm, I'm going to be blind in a month. And that moment of sitting down with them, we got our crying out and just having that same dinner we'd always have on a Tuesday because that's the day it was going down. And 
and was just in my head going, I'm the same guy. I'm not going to see as well. So how do I move forward? You know, how do I continue to be the person I am? And that's always been my goal. It's what's in here and what's in here. Not what I can or can't do. And figure out a way to be that guy who still loves to golf, loves to whitewater paddle, loves to camp, loves to ride his bike, loves to ski. There's ways we can find out to do it. My pride never got involved with it. I knew things were going to change. You know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, never counts. And, you know, when you, when you consider, let me put it in perspective. You did say this. This is one of the greatest things you said to me. And you can debate this all you want, but you said to me one time, I would never want to be in your shoes. <laughs> you said that. You were I apologize. drunk as fuck. And you just rolled up on me and you bumped me. And we, no shit, dude, this is you. And you said, dude, I couldn't do what you do. And I wouldn't trade places with you for the world. And I, that, I, gives, that gave me perspective because I'm sur I was surrounded at the time this remember i joined the team just a year after i lost my sight i didn't have a whole lot of sit down i never allowed myself that not allowed myself that but part of wasn't to get pissed off you know getting pissed off about losing your nobody's fault and to that point alone i've always said you know to myself that it's nobody's fault where i'm at good or bad there's it's 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 not my parents fault that they had a diabetic kid and there's no history of it in our family. It's, it's not the nurse's fault when you break your shit up and you end up at the hospital. It's not your friends or your families. It's not your kids or your wife. Life shows up and you are in the position to be in the driver's seat or not. And it is not their responsibility to make you feel better. You've got to start with yourself and you do have to figure out the way to move forward. And my way of moving forward was, wow, Let's call Ray Watkins. He's going to know about skiing. Well, I see the skiing thing. They can do it with skis. Why can't I do it on a bike? But fundamentally, it comes down to, like we've told each other before for years, like we're the same people we met years ago. And that's a, to me, I like to think that when people, you know, take a look at my life or they meet me or they've, old friends that I haven't seen for 25 years, they, it's one of the greatest compliments I receive is like, you're the knucklehead I met 25 years ago. How do you do that? How do you go through all of that? And I think it's just the drive to keep living and having that quality of life that you mentioned. Well, it's, you mentioned the idea of like this stuff happens, this traumatic stuff, this going blind stuff. And the surprising realization is that you're still the same person. I mean, you're saying you're still the same knucklehead that you were before. The same, the same realization, you know, that realization is, it's kind of surprising, isn't it? I mean, it's like surprising. I, I remember sort of being sort of surprised myself. Like I'm in the hospital and all this stuff happens and it's swirling around you, right? You're in the, I was in the bed, you know, I'm in the hospital bed and doctors and nurses and family and, and everything's going, have that moment of going, well, I'm still the same person 
that I was before. And I think from the outside, and, and we're looking at ourselves from the outside to a certain extent when this happens, thinking, well, I should feel different. I should feel like some other person. But it's almost like that's the most empowering thing, isn't it? To realize, well, I'm still the same person that I was before, despite what's happened. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, unequivocally, one of my messages I like to either leave with a group or an individual, a person in transition, anybody I may have worked with, even a person I have a beer with or coffee with, is that, you know, if they find out about me or know about me, know about me, find know about me you know they'll want to talk about all the things that have happened to me well things happen to everybody in this life life does show up and i'll echo this time and time again and it's like what you work with and work with people and you roll out that idea it's not what happens to you it's what you do with it one of the things does not change unless it's a traumatic brain injury unless it has to do with your cerebral function. But when people go through changes, they experience limitations for the short time or the long term. One of the things I encourage is you, it's, it's who you are, not what. And if you're gonna have a limitation or a change that you're gonna have to adapt to, accept that you are who you are, that does not change you. Don't become what happens to you. And I see it all the, all the time, you know, on, it's so frustrating, you know, and I'll, I'll take whatever fucking heat the disabled community wants to bring me is that there's a responsibility we have to educate people. And there are some gifted activists that have made great changes and are doing it today. Paralympic athletes, pushing those limits to put themselves in the disabled community to be recognized for their achievements, be recognized for who they are. But so much is pushed about on what they are, the blind and what's owed to them, or this community's not doing enough for me. Ableism, where they'll accuse, and we've talked about this before, where they're gonna say to the able-bodied community, don't cheer, don't cheer me if I roll across the stage. That's just what, that's who I am. It's like people love achievement. Get over yourself, accept that applause, accept that you are different and you are a fucking rock star. And allow them to live with you for one second and celebrate that hard work that you put in. But people become who? I mean, people, people become what, not who. And I've, I always, you know, when I ask, when I'm speaking to an individual or, or groups, like I mentioned before, it's like, I'll ask someone randomly and I've got someone on stage, pick a person out of the crowd, tell me who you are. And they'll start with, I'm a complete computer programmer. I'm this, and I ride bikes and I do this. That's not who you are. It's, you know, and, and it's, and it's not that tough of a question. But it seems like people really struggle because they want to be identified with their wealth, with their job, with their political party, with their opinion on the world and COVID. That that's what comes out. It's like, man, do what's best for you. Do what's best for your heart. 
Do what's best for your soul and your family and your kid. That's who you are. Do what's best for you and your relationships you have in this life. You know, I think that's significant. It's interesting that you say that because as you're talking, what I'm thinking is that our identity, our sense of self, in a lot of ways is perceived to be really fragile, can be the thing that we can lose. We can lose who we are. We were just talking about the idea of having this traumatic event and the realization that I'm still the same person that I was before. I'm still the same person that I was yesterday, despite what happened. This, this nature of, of the fragile self, how do you how, how do you perceive that? How do you how do you talk to people about it? How do you what, what's the action? I think it I feel strongly that people get pushed in to those corners. They get told how you're supposed to act. The expectation, you talk about expectations, right? Let's change the expectation of what we're capable of as a blind individual or a person in a chair or an amp, you know, BK, AK, whatever. Change the expectation, change the perception because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten shit flicked to me from a blind community member or disabled member, like, saying that, all right, I got 10% of my sight in one eye. So you're right, I am not a total. Well, only 10% of the population is. So I'm not blind enough. <laughs> or my transplants, both of them, couldn't be as that bad. It couldn't be as bad as my uncle's or mine, or my cancer isn't bad enough. Why? Because I ride my bike for two to two and a half hours a day. I do silly shit on a downhill bike. No matter what they don't know what my daily vibe is what i'm experiencing but i go out and i live the life i have it's not my identity it's my joy it's my passion but i won't be pushed into a white cane and a cup and screw the blind guys and gals that want to flick me shit you can find me at rideblindracing.com whatever i don't care is that go beyond that expectation be what you want to be, be who you want to be. And that people's expectations of people with disabilities is starting to change. And I see this from the athletic perspective. I see this from the growth of Paralympic sports and the exposure for the athletes by vis-a-vis -vis through sponsorships, through programs, through their ability to make a living through their you know, internet and social media presence. It's brilliant. Their stories are their value. It's like people come and say, Bobby, tell your story. It isn't a story, it's my life. And there is value to that. And I won't give it away. Well, it's funny, you're talking disability, right? And the, and the one that we all, that we all encounter is, is getting older. Are oh, you yeah. a... You mentioned 58 years old. Are yeah. you a young 58 years old? Are you in, you've got a lot of miles on you. How, oh. how, do, you, how do you reconcile that? <laughs> I, I've never been a looker, that's for sure. <laughs> I, but I, I make the joke, I'm like that beautiful 66 Mustang on the corner, beautiful rims and tires, classic paint, you know, great paint job. Just don't look under the hood. 
you know um yeah i'm 58 and i'm you know I, I got some fixing to be done on this on this carcass and you know i i got a backtrack going to my you know i'm very passionate about my life and what i do and like i said i'm not an advocate and going to that idea that but i do have the responsibility to explain when given the opportunity or educate people and i'm not good at that either and because i i, I do I, I still have to work on patients and I have to work with people that are going through changes or life moments that i find to be um i don't even know how to how to put this gracefully it's like you know, you don't know how fucking, what fucking hard is yet. I'll tell you what hard is. And because I make it look easy, like I said, going to that, yeah, you can't be that blind. You can't be that sick. You can't be that, can't, that can't, you can't be that bad. You know, and that's for both able body and, and people with the face, the, the, the face, you know, physical and challenges. And we have to address everybody. This has to be inclusive. And how do we get that message that in your daily lives, there will be struggles. We don't know what there is. Don't assume, right? How, how do you make it look easy though? I mean, people, you say, people tell you that you make it look easy. You can't be that blind. You can't be that sick. How do you make it look easy? Come come ride a bike with me. No, I know, but, but like <laughs> what, what's inside of you that, that makes you um, make it look easier? What's I, the desire? What's the purpose? I, 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 someone pointed out it's one of the greatest, flat-ass greatest compliments I've ever received was someone said to me, Bobby, when you're in the room, it's about everybody else. Is that you are interested in everybody else, but you are the most interesting person in the room. And the, the, the point of this, this person's compliment was that I want to know about people and I, I I want to know I am interested in everybody that's part of our life experience you run into dickheads and assholes and you choose to steer clear of but you run into some great moments that you can learn from it's a selfish reason I love to hear people's stories every person has a story and should have the opportunity to share it with you or family members or others it's cathartic it's interesting. Do you, and do you ask good questions? Are you a good? Probably not. I probably. Well, it sounds like you are, though. I, I well, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, if you're curious, right? I mean, you're curious about people, and you want to. Do you get to their story? I guess is the question. That's that's a way of, I, of answering whether you ask good questions. I, I. I there's a couple of dynamics in my life that I, 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 I reap a great deal of joy about. And, and, and I think it's part of my goals is trying to be a good human is that I can, I can capture an audience of beer drinking people at a bar by the mere mentioning that I'm blind. And if I've been sitting there and they join me and my wife, they don't know about me, holy shit. That's what the response will be. There's no way you don't look, it. you don't act it. And of course that could lead to me being a bit of a dick with ears, with ears, that, that I have 
lived a life and a lifestyle where many my my disabilities or my challenges um, being sick or not seeing it's not evident it's not seen it's not being stared at because you're wearing a prosthetic leg or missing an arm or you know if i'm waving my white cane around like a madman or rolling in a chair that i can be standing there and having coffee with a person for an hour and someone will mention to them who or what i am and they'll say oh my god i wouldn't have known you look normal that people consider me normal is a win i think that's funnier than hell is that that happens a lot in the world right now people with hidden disabilities there's so much out there that people don't know and to achieve normal is a win i love learning about that and sharing my experience but the idea that i can sit in a room all day and someone will come up and go, oh, my God, someone just told me you're blind. And they'll go, really? You don't look it. And I think that's funny. You know, wow, you look me. And it's not uncommon that people say, dude, you don't look like you've ever been sick in your life. I'm 58. Guys I ride with will go, no way. Couldn't believe you'd be 40. Those are great compliments. It's not like a lifetime achievement, but it's those little things. And that but you're maintaining say, your life. I'm living the life I choose. I make it a, I make it an absolute goal that I don't make excuses for anything that I've experienced. I, I, I won't say I ride slower because I'm blind, but I could ride with people that will say, there's no way, dude, you're blind. I, I, and that's great. And, and it's taken a lot of work and a lot of beat downs, and that's my choice. But you know, I, I won't, you know, what is it? I, I don't, I won't ask quarter and I'll give none. And that's with every day, living every day as a good father. People say, God, it's amazing what you do when you have such limited sight. I'm like, no, I'm just a dad using the skill set I have to be this best dad. Well, you're such a good partner, you're such a good, good husband. Well, that's because my wife is missing some brain cells and married me but that's but that has your secret's safe with us we won't tell her that has nothing to do chris with uh you know who you are you know how you it, it, that that has everything to, excuse me with who you are and nothing to do with my physical limitations and go ahead i mean i do you have i mean you know i've said this and it's probably similar for you right it's a different deal there's not much that I encounter on a daily basis that I can't do. Like mobility is not my issue. When I had my original accident, mobility was my issue because it was a colossal change from you know, one day to the next, then you have to adapt. We have an amazing ability to adapt. Is that the same for you that that you're you've adapted and your sight is not the not the issue on a daily basis? Oh, absolutely. I've worked really hard at being blind. Now, let me put that differently. I've worked really hard at faking that I can see. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. And you figure out a way to make your day efficient and as smooth as possible whether that's local transportation, walking your kid to school, going to the grocery store, 
you know, you, you got to do the reps and meaning you have to take the time, take effort to learn the system to try to, I don't want to use normal, well, normalize because in the disabled community, you can't say, you know, I, I say that cheap. Regular system. Nobody calls you normal, Bobby. Oh, I know. You, 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 every day, this is your system. This is the way you survive. This is why things are put a certain way. Why things go in the cupboards a certain way. Where I know the steps to the end of my street. Where I know where shit is in the store. Because one, I'll ask people, but I've been in there a thousand times. We try those routines. Make our lives efficient. And when it's efficient, it makes it easy, easier since I lost my sight. And I'm starting to kind of forget what that me those memories of what things look like. Mm. You know, my references are the visual acuity or lack thereof that I have. The shapes, the shadows, the movement that I can pick up and how I have to bob my head, how I have to use my hands, tow things around when to use my whisper, my cane, and not to, you know, same with riding a bike, it's reps, it's reps, it's reps, it's feels. And that life has become normal to me. This is my life. So as discomfort, so as sickness. So, you know, um, it's, I'm in a state where, you know, my body's under change for a lot of different reasons. Being a transplant patient, you have heart issues, and and I look to those ways where I could continue those activities. And you have to adapt, just like you have, and so many others. And adaptation is constant. A person that was a good, strong athlete at 25, at 35, is going to be a little different at 45. And how egos get in the way of that adaptation and how people hold themselves at such a high regard when it simply is you're getting older and I'm no different. <laughs> I mean, I'm just getting old. I'm, I'm a year and a half from being 60, dude. <laughs> and I think about that and go, that's funny. I'm lucky to be alive. But we talked earlier about how we feel in our heart and our soul. And that, you know, I, I put a lot of stock in that. You know, because that's who we are, you know. Am I, what, what will I be like as a dad at 60? Oh, you're going to be the same. I'm going to be better. I'm riding my bike <laughs> downhill better at 58 right now than I ever have in my life. I am so loose and fast and way too cocky. But the idea that we can still grow both intellectually and physically and mentally, you know, is it the loss of, just growing old, being a normal 58-year-old dude, and having a lot of time take its toll on us as a weekend warrior? Or is it a guy that's had a couple organ transplant, cancer's always on the horizon, you know, always sticking its head out there, having a heart that changes, your second pacemaker, you know, that kind of thing. You know, are those, what adaptations do I make for that? But of course, my standard is like, man, I'm riding downhill faster than I ever done, and I'm a better dad. I'm a better partner and I want to continue that growth because that allows me to grow physically as well as emotionally and mentally. And I get to be a better me. I want to be a better friend to you. I'm going to be a better guest the next time we get to shoot the shit. Yeah. And you do it well. How old, how soon, how soon do you think Ella 
your six-year-old daughter, how soon will she be able to guide you on your bike? She, she does. We've been playing around with this on our little bike rides and she can ride up to about six miles of flat terrain. And, you know, hey, she wants to ride her bike. Then we'll work further on that. If she wants, you know, to play a grand piano, we'll get a grand piano. But if she continues to grow, you know, and want to ride with the love and passion I have for the sport, um, I can see her being quite capable, you know, I, I mean, we see these phenoms as kids. Kids are so rad at a younger age. You know, I don't, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know that she'll ever be at that guy, daddy down a downhill at Whistler. But I think for a ride, you know, a um, couple of years, she's very capable. And it, again, I don't ever want to push her in that direction. Right now, it's um, that shape in front of me is a lot easier for me to track than when she's behind me. <laughs> like you have I'm, no idea where she's I'm going. She I'm shepherding that, that bobbing and weaving going on. Um, you know, and, and kids are so adaptable and with this day of COVID and how things are shaping up and, and hopefully improving their state. Um, you know, she's a very adaptable kid. And, you know, when the, I, I've heard her you know, someone would say, I've heard comments, you know, um, you know, about conversations about, oh, no, my dad's blind. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, he's not. Oh, no. And she knows exactly what it is. He had kind of a disease and they didn't quite fix it well enough. So he just kind of sees a bunch of blurry stuff. And it's this matter of fact um, <laughs> beauty in her explanation. And, um, you know, that her grasping my you know, my particular challenges or the way my life uh, has shaped up and who her dad is. It has, the beautiful thing is it's, it's, it's a 30 second, 20 second little riff about, oh no, it's like this. And this is how he does it. Or someone will mention, you know, uh, episode, you know, that a, a friend of hers, that their parents are going to dialysis and they'll go, oh, I know what that is, you know, and it's the exposure we give them and the ownership we want to give them. And when it comes to riding bikes, you know, it's about her. You know, we're collecting bugs all day. And she yells from across the yard, you know, yard, Daddy, I got bugs. You want to see it? And she'll come up and jam it right in my face. Just, you know, wham. <laughs> Daddy, you want a cookie? Wham. <laughs> you know? And that's a, that's a beautiful experience. Well, it, it is. And it's, it's that intersection, right? That intersection, like as you see your child, continue to grow older and continue to develop and the personality develops and, and and she's old enough to appreciate you and you're young enough to be able to to appreciate her that intersection is so cool right where you both have this great quality of life and that her statement about you is interesting because it sounds like that's in her words that's not you or Heidi scripting this is what you can tell people when they ask about your dad this is her interpretation it sounds like is that true it, it is because it's something as simple as like well can't your dad drive it well no he can't well why not does he have a license no 
well, of course, an adult or another kid's gonna ask, well, why not? Well, he's blind. Huh? Uh, what? What? And it's that kind of uh, way that what you're saying is absolutely true. It's just her interpretation of how to explain something as simple as like, well, can't your dad drive you? Uh-uh. And then pretty much you have people going, oh, well, hey. And then, you know, Heidi will get a call or a text. And like, Ella's telling people that your husband's blind. And, you know, you can see, you know, I don't go and make announcements at her class or at the, at the school board meeting. You know, I drop her off like a normal person. And I walk away and figure out my system. And it, because school's about her, life is about her. Um, it's not about me. And it's about her on her terms, just like I've tried to work real hard of accepting the life I have and the life that shows up every day, you know, to, to not change as that person. And kids are brilliant, man. I, I look at the real challenges. It's not about my particular short, not shortcomings, but my, you know, not being able to see my disabilities or my health conditions. It, it's, it's bigger. The picture's bigger now for our youth is that she's been very adaptable through COVID and parents struggle. And there's so many things, you know, uh, experiences that kids have we never imagined our kids would go through and we're lucky to have this child who's very adaptable but there's moments when she's like oh god i'm so not like any of the kids because they're going to hawaii and they're flying around well everybody's risk tolerances are different and you know we have to be different because of me that's an emotionally tough one you know because well, you're more vulnerable right i mean you're going through COVID, your your COVID system has to be right well yeah i mean it's people like oh it's only you only got two percent of catching it well if i catch it i will die it's i mean simple i say math. that in a it right. is simple is that on paper if i gave someone my list of a shit show in terms of my uh, comorbidities you know i'm the guy that needs to stay home to protect everybody else so i don't get sick well you should all stay home but if you know me i'm the first one that says fuck off i'm gonna live and I will take those precautions of washing, masking, you know, six feet, you know, to the letter of the law. And I'm not, I'm not I don't, you know, every, everybody's list, risk tolerances are different, but mine is from that perspective, is that when people think of people with comorbidities, that's 45% of our population. And everybody at the outset was saying, you guys need to all stay home with the old people. Well, that means people aren't going to go to work that could work or might work that, you know, if their job's not affected by it or can work at home, you know, that's great. But the idea that, you know, um, this certain population that I am part of, um, and I and I, I own that, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I don't agree with all that, you know, you're not gonna lock me up in my house. You know, I, I'm gonna do, Everything to protect you. That's what this is all about. Everything to allow my kid to explore life as well as we can, considering some of the limitations that we have to live and we're growing out of right now. But it's just not COVID, Chris. You know, I take a, a great deal of ownership and then making sure things like, you know, the, the big catchwords right now. And I hope it, it, this is a, a tidal wave of change when it comes to inclusion, 
you know, the racial injustices that we're talking about is that where do we start? You know, where do we do? Well, we start with our kids and each one of us has to work with our children to understand what's going on, whether they're six-year-olds or not, because they notice someone in a wheelchair. They notice people of color. And when they come to you and say, I don't know what the big deal is. I love that person. I love that black kid. I love that guy. He's funny. And he's nice to us. Why would anybody think otherwise? You know, how do you walk that one through? That's a tough one. And I think that's part of who I am, is how I can make a difference, is I'm not going to make an impact on the disabled communities and by the life I leave, because my choices are different. I can make a you know, I can, I can maybe inform, I can maybe motivate, you know, certain people, but unless you're motivated, you're not going to get motivated. I have nothing to do with that. But what I can do is be who I am. And that's a good dad and to help her understand. So when she's having conversations, when she's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 in college, that she is on the right side of the good fight. And that's everybody should be looked at through my eyes and through my eyes you're either i meet you in two minutes and wow you are you know uh, color shape who you are doesn't matter to me it's how you treat me i don't know if that makes any sense or it'll piss somebody off but no it makes perfect sense and some of but some of also what you were talking about before was that it sounded like you didn't say this explicitly i'm i'm interpreting what you were saying but that you learn a lot from your daughter. When your daughter was explaining who you are, she's six years old, but you as an adult are learning a lot from oh. her with regard to diversity and inclusion. You're learning a lot as well. I mean, she, she's, a, she's a blank slate, right? I and mean, she's just like, people are people or, you know, this is a nice person, this is not a nice person. And it's as All simple point. as that. And that's just it, as I, I watch these things, Here's an amazing example. We're at the Redding. I'm from Redding. You know, all tongue and cheek at hillbillies and rednecks. But simple town, great out of town. Have so much uh, invested in that community, always will. And they've been great to me and who I am today. And I still have lifelong friends there. And yet it's also challenged my relationships with many people. But we go and we visit. They've got a nice little kid's bike park, right? Nice lap, little hitters, teeter-totters. Ella loves that kind of scene. And I had done a lap with her and then waited while mommy did a lap with her. And I'm waiting there. And this kid who is literally like knee high on a push bike rolls up on me and in Reading, I, you know, and to each zone, hey, you know, I encourage you, you're looking out for the person next to you, wherever you're at, make your own choices, what's best for you. I choose to wear a mask. And when I'm around groups of people, I'll wear a mask. This kid, maybe three, rolls up on me and says, take your mask off. <laughs> what? Please. <laughs> and he was, he was pleading. He wasn't adamant or mad. I mean, a three-year-old scolding you, but the kid was like pleading as, as if it's like, he was saying, grab the life preserver, but it was, take your mask off. And I kind of went, and I, I just, Heidi th said that she expected something. But I, I just laughed and rolled off and, and said, I said, not a chance and giggled <laughs> and did another lap. 
and I posted at the same spot, and he came back again. And he, and he, and he just was pleading right in front of my feet. Sir, sir, please, please take your mask off. I mean, it, it was amazing that someone that young, again, I'm estimating three. Heidi said he looked like he was about three. But that kid learned that. I would have loved to ask that little child what he meant by it or talk to his parents to what gave him the like, take your mask off, you XX or whatever. I mean, you know, didn't call any names. It was the pleading, like my life depended on it. And he was trying to tell me that. And this was a very young child and how they learn behaviors from us. And we look at all these behaviors that are, I don't care if you're looking at politically or through this, the, the, the lens of COVID, you know, we're at such a opposite ends of this still. And uh, it, what's it gonna take to get these conversations back to us acting like humans and respecting each other for our choices. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, I think in some ways, I mean, it's kind of interesting too, right? That there's, there's an interpretation of safety. And, and for you, in the sense where you're wearing a mask, this is your interpretation of safety. If I wear my mask, I'm keeping myself safe and I'm helping to keep other people safe. Yeah. We're probably in his mind, the, the mask is a representation of, of the virus. Yeah. And if you can remove the mask, you can remove the virus. Like, hey, don't worry. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure, oh. but that's, uh, you know, you're, you're not buying it. My, my mind wandered, you know, thinking like, what exactly is he being taught? And, uh, you know, there's... There's the beauty and the downside of, of the internet that everything's available out there. Depends what you want. You can you can you can find it. You it can you can find an opinion that supports yours, and that's what they are as opinions. And this kid, what was just the the, the I, I I wish I could convey the sincerity in this child's voice that he was trying desperately to help me save my life. And I'm thinking, what have you been told? That I'm going to hell because I wear a mask or that masks are bad for me? Or that, um, you know, again, what does that mask represent to a child? And it's, it's the conversation, it, it, it's, it's amazing. And yet, you know, in adults, to me, it's like, I, I'm not gonna change people's minds about, you know, the way, a, a, adults is going to be a hard task, but my my daughter and having this day to day conversation with her, I never imagined myself being a father having these conversations with my six year old daughter. Never. I you know I I I want discussions to be about Barbies and playing with neighbor kids. But when she hears things, the community or on TV or in her classroom, and and the the education process that she's going through is changing as we speak and she has questions and she will actually educate me at times. It's that this can't be like the sex talk, right? Who gave you the sex talk? You know, what my dad said to me, don't make me a grandpa before my time when I was probably 14. 
you know, there was no talk about differences between man and woman. There was, you know, and I, you know, I, 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 I had six sisters. I was the one going to the grocery store to pick up feminine hygiene products. And I didn't care. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the conversation was like uh, 30 seconds. And with, with the racial disparities that we need to face, where does that start? It starts with conversations with our children. And those conversations that we have hopefully put into our mindset that, oh my God, I need to have this conversation. Face it that some people are gonna get super pissed off and I can't get pissed off about them. All I can do is hopefully have a conversation and put ideas just as I hope I am open to their side of things. I mean, the, <laughs> this could go south in a whole lot of ways, but you know, some of the ideas that friends I've gone to school with, people I love and admire are known and have believed in is beyond mind boggling. Um, that they went to the same schools as me, they were raised with the same values, you know, right and wrong. And you know, let's look at facts and and those those kind of things. It's like, man, I want that person back in my life. And I haven't figured out how. But through my daughter and working with her, I'm starting to maybe develop ideas and conversations in my head that I hopefully will have with others. Because that's what it's gonna take, man. I mean, we are we're 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 a great country. We've got to be open to a lot of possibilities and change and change you know we have to evolve and keep evolving well i think you see that with your daughter (laughs) you know the beauty of what you're talking about is this idea of a conversation right and the idea of a conversation is that it's two ways this is not you standing at the pulpit telling your telling your daughter the way that things have to go right this is this is you making a statement, asking a question, her asking a question, her yeah. giving a response, it goes back and forth. And and the beauty is that she's six years old and it really is, it really is the nature of, of a conversation. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that came out of what you were talking about is that you're curious that you love people, you want to know their story. You might have, you might have this phenomenal story that blows people away. But yet you're driven by the curiosity to learn about, learn about other people. And to me, a lot of what you're talking about is starting right there is, is, is how can we learn? It's easy to make assumptions, well, but how can I we mean, learn? That's very true about, you know, I, I want to learn and learn stories, but I also have a, people need someone to listen to them. And it goes to mental health, you know, that people have these stories they want to share, but maybe that stranger you run into at the coffee shop needs someone to talk to because no one's talking to them or no one's listening to them. And you've got to sit there and maybe listen to a few minutes of, of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, just a person vetting, venting to you. Mm -hmm. And that they needed that because that's saving them from maybe going down that rabbit hole that they may not come out of. They may be on just the edge of their own personal existence. And that one conversation with a stranger will give them one more day of peace. 
and giving someone my time, your time is the most valuable thing. And we said this earlier. And if the idea is that I follow myself, find myself in a frustrating conversation, good or bad, whether you agree or not, to be that person that listens, to keep that person and allow that person to believe in themselves that they have value in this world. There's a lot of that out there and people don't take the time to listen. One of the biggest challenges I think that we have in life is, is a feeling of isolation, right? Is, is feeling like we are, we are on our own. We are separate. Uh, we're, you know, separate from society, I guess. In some Which has way. been furthered through COVID. Well, that's, that was, you you're anticipating my connect. My question is that, that with the idea of the quarantine, with the idea of COVID, how have you been able to maintain that mental health and that connection with the people who are important to you? I, you know, we live in an area, in a county where compliance, COVID compliance is very high. And on top of that, we've, we, you know, with, with now vaccinations being available and testing being available, you know, our numbers are really, really good. So we're really working on coming down the color scale. And like we're, in, I think we're in orange, but we're in one of the lowest ones. And we have one of the highest rates of vaccination. So returning to normalcy is happening right now. And even during, you know, the, the worst of it, you know, we were still able to go outside. Now, how it affected me directly was that I mean, it's a, it's inconsequential. My limitations other than, uh, I mean, riding bikes and socialization. I've got a pool of riders I like to ride with. And I like to ride road with certain guys and gals. And I like to ride mountain with another certain. Well, because of COVID, we've all had to adhere to those and chosen to adhere to those limitations and take precautions. And because of my personal, you know, my risk tolerance your limitations my limitations i you know decided to stay away from a majority of them so wow i don't get to ride as much you know and that will change now because i've been vaccinated and you know understanding the disease and how it might affect me more and the limitations i have like two bike lengths right it's about 12 feet that's my effective sight when following a guide on a bike 12 (laughs) feet it is and 12 feet is about my threshold in terms of, you know, people will say six feet. Now they're saying, well, if you're vaccinated, it's all good. Well, I'm still going to keep a buffer. Your Venn diagram is kind of an interesting little. Uh, it is. It's like, it's like okay, that little spot right in the middle. That's that. That's where I have to stay. I'm safe here. I can see there. Okay, good. It's a compass. You're like, eh, okay, that's my, that's my perimeter. Um. But I, I, I do, I do pretty well. Um, I did pretty well through this. You know, I was, um, I'm looking forward to uh, kind of revisiting, you know, my own podcast, revisiting, getting, I mean, what I do, um, you know, one of my, my wheelhouse is in-person um, events, closed, you know, <laughs> inside auditoriums with a whole bunch of people (laughs) 
and that is going to be in, hopefully down the road for me. And I'm excited that because that's what I love to do. I do love to share with audiences or individuals. And hopefully as this changes, I'm gonna have those opportunities, but that's gonna be maybe down the road. Uh, but in terms of Ella and, and Heidi, um, you know, socialization family. And in my turn, my, my, in regards to my family, I look at the, res the result of our taking precautions with COVID is that it's actually established some great foundations to grow relationships with my sisters. I'm the only boy, that's our daughter. And with my folks um, gone on to, to, to a better place, so to speak, mom and dad passed away, she has aunts who are rolled right into that grandma and grandpa kind of role. Um, and that any given day, she could be talking to, you know, two, maybe three of my sisters, something that didn't happen before. And, you know, I'm not looking through rose colored lenses. It's that I'd rather be at a gathering at my sister Patty's, you know, with all my other nieces and nephews and sisters. But individually, they've all been able to establish their own connection with Ella. And I have, hell, how many times have we talked, be it on the phone or yeah, this, quite it's, a few. It's, it's awesome, you know, um, being led into your world through technology has been great for me. And I talk to friends, be it through social media or conversations on the phone or Zooming that, you know, I wouldn't talk to for every six months to a year, if that. And those relationships have, are, are, we can do this. I mean, I may not be able to go see my buddy in Texas uh, on a, any given time or place, but man, to be able to do this with them and have this with them, that's, that's a lot of solace for me. It, uh, I, I, um, I think that's a great value to me. From a personal standpoint, you know, stepping back from my speaking gigs and podcasting, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons behind it, and you're aware of some of them, but I, I get to focus my attention on my daughter. And if there's one thing through all of this that I hope people don't, is if the opportunity financially, work-wise, to be at home with your child in these formative years. I mean, my folks worked. We had daycare providers, you know? I mean, that, and we are lucky to be in that position that I could just be a full-time dad and that I lurked around while she's in class and when it's her 10 minute break, I'm, I'm putting Legos together. I'm taking her for walks or runs or we're hunting bugs. And if she was at school until 2.30 every day, I never would have had this. And COVID sucks. It's horrible. And I'm so glad so many people are celebrating or in that position to say, I never had it. It's not that bad. Well, fuck, good for you. But it has killed people and it will continue to be a factor. It is real. Look around the goddamn world. And during all of this, the effect on my life as a father and a husband, I dare say it's been positive, is that Heidi and I in the same home, like with any partners, that could be tough. 
but we have found ways to communicate better. I've, I've got to watch my daughter grow up for a year and a half, man, every day. There is nothing in this world that could have made me feel more fulfilled. Whatever happens in her life from here on out, going back to school, growing, getting married. God, I hope I'm around for that. Shit. But I get to be with her every day. I get to be the person that goes to the playground. I'm the stay at home dad. And I can't tell you how much I value that and cherish that. That has made more of an imprint on me in my life to be able to take who I am, good or bad, suss that out on a daily, on a daily basis, evaluate my performances as her father. Was I too hard? Was I too much of a disciplinarian? Or too much of my dad? Did I send her to a room of consequences? What am I doing wrong? And, oh God, you know, the guilt that I made a bad decision or action. Am I not letting her be her child? Am I not, you know, she can't get out of my sight. You know, the rule is that whistle and my daughter comes and running to check on me. I mean, literally a whistle. And I've people comment like, how dare you whistle for your daughter like a dog? And I'm like, yeah, Mill Valley brings a lot out in people. <laughs> and, you know, that idea that, yeah, because <laughs> you sit here and yell at your kid who does nothing. Hey, stop doing that. Stop doing this. Hey, stop doing that. The whole time. And I whistle once and my kid comes running and said, what's up, dad? With a smile on my face, okay. Shining moments for me. But really, you know, COVID and its overall effect, um, I am why people are vac vaccine. I am why people wear masks. They want a face, use me. And I have no problem leveraging friends saying, I can't visit with you. I come to your house unless you're vaccinated, period. And it. And it's effective. There yeah. are people that were hemming and hawing saying, yeah, I'm not quite sure. And I've found some strategic way to just put it out. You know, my exposure moving forward is going to be to those that are vaccinated. At least I'll take credit for it, that they value my friendship and my company enough to get vaccinated. If that's their reason, great. Um, if Again, you know, I, I think the downside for me is that I do I, I do look hard at myself and I, I do suffer some guilt about the reason Heidi hasn't been able to explore or her friendships with other people or get outside this COVID bubble sooner in our area, despite the vaccinations, despite the compliance here, um, is because of me. And that guilt that I do carry a little bit, and it's maybe it's unjusted, but it's very matter of fact is that Ella's not in class in person because she's got to protect her dad. That's, uh, that's a little bit weighty. And, you know, I think about that often is that she's watching her friends start to open up and go on trips and see family members and go on trips with their friends and go to their houses. And we're working our way into that comfort zone and with the vaccination we're well on our way, but through all of this, that's probably personally the heaviest, heaviest kind of emotional um, 
on your end, I, I would imagine Ella and Heidi yeah. are not are not would not no. say that as well. You've been through a lot of trauma. You've had trauma in your life. You've emerged from that trauma, and you've and you've grown from that trauma. You know, you you being the same person that you were before, and you know, I mean, it's a cliche to say you came out of it stronger. You know, but but I think you came out of it with a greater appreciation. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I agree. COVID, it sounds like you're saying that that same thing. Is there anything, any one thing that you look at and say, that's the thing that I'm going to take with me, you know, for the next few years, for the rest of my life? There's part of me that's just, you know, I'm called a lot of names. You know, I'm 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 fairly fierce. I'm an asshole. I am. Um, Huge-hearted oh, asshole. You're, yeah, you're you're a straight shooter, or well, you just tell it like it is. No, I'm I'm like intolerant of dumbasses. I am, and I'm trying to work hard. Really, ignorant. Hard yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I will call people out. You know, I mean, I say call people out. I still have no problem with confrontation. That's not a good thing. And what I try to convey, you know, anymore is like. I haven't, you're not going to change people's views being a hard ass, you know, like a new manager on a job, that guy being bossy and yelling and, you know, it's not managing people. The hard hand, the firm hand is good when needed, but it's not good for the long game. And right now and through COVID, I've had to make my I am vulnerable in a lot of ways I mean I've I, I have a big heart I'm emotional and I'm steered by emotion good and bad that's I'm steered by hate sometimes and those emotions because I feel it's very important we explore and experience every emotion to know what it is and know what it feels like and I could get so enraged about people not complying but I don't know their backstory but if I can influence them by being vulnerable by saying, I am who you are protecting. And I do know what, I know what being on a ventilator is like, because I've been there. I know what ammonia is so bad. You can't, it feels like there's 500 pounds on your chest and you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. I know what that feeling of 104, five, six degree temperature is. And those nurses packing your ass in ice that's part of my existence. I know pain and discomfort. Most of it I've inflicted on myself, so I won't complain. But when it comes to COVID, it's that the cavalierness and the people who are so unaware and so selfish that they think the masks are, uh, I'm, you're burgeoning on my freedoms, or I don't have to because of this. And it's, and it's not constitutional. It's it's no. We have responsibilities of hu as humans here. That by complying, by masking for an hour a day and washing your hands and keeping a short distance or going into a store with it, that is nothing. And I want to shake them and go, I know what that shit is. Not COVID, but the experience. And if I if I want to use that as my superpower to be vulnerable, to tell my story, to say, I'm why you're doing it. And 
you don't want to go through this and you can mitigate it by taking these steps, by getting the vaccine, by yes, herd immunity can happen, but we need you, I need you on my side. I don't agree with you politically or the way you're approaching COVID, but I'm your friend, you're saving my ass. If I can leverage that, I'd love to, I'd love to be better at it without those other qualities of, you know, you know, right now it's, you know, playgrounds are opening up and everybody's complaining or, you know, and people are wearing masks and they're making comments about, oh God, I saw this family today and they're wearing their masks and oh my God, this, I'm like, man, some kid, you know, and Tucker Carlson, that fuck telling people to go after children who wear masks and adults and calling CPS, he's telling people to do that. I just told Heidi, you know, I'm, I'm, you're going to get a phone call says don't hang up it's my only phone call if they, i mean these kind of things come to mind and i don't want to live in that zone i want to live in that compassionate life that i am growing older and i have to realize i do have an influence on people and i can influence them people by my experience that's what i want to take away is it maybe does that does that make you more tolerant as well to you know because you're talking about i mean you're vulnerable right now you're vulnerable health-wise, but then other people have difficulties, have challenges, have tensions that might not be that visible. And, yeah. and, and part of it is, is you're asking, you're asking one group to be, to be more understanding of, of your issues. Does that help you also turn around and be more understanding of those issues of other people that might not be as visible? Absolutely. I don't know their upbringing. I don't know their influences. I don't know what books they've read. I don't know their work. You know, I, I have to, you know, I have to be much, much better at allowing, you know, we're, hell, the, the White House has changed. The political dynamic has changed. It's still going to pose lots of challenges, but we will survive. As the opposing opposition party, did not win, you will survive to the next election. Who, you know, uh, that's an easy one for me to kind of grasp. Uh, whereas with, with, with COVID, it, it, it has it's had a direct effect on my life. And the frustration I have is with, oh my God, the knee jerk reaction, you just don't care about other people. And that's not true. People do care. We just have to find a way to, to work together and find out how I can add value to their lives. And I say that a lot and they can add value to mine. And we can still have these differences in political opinions or how we approach our health. We all have different risk tolerances, but on the big picture, it has everything, it has everything to do with big picture. You know, we need to be more tolerant. We need to be more open. We need to be more inclusive. We can't let these conversations escape. We can't wait another 10 years when another huge racial injustice tidal wave occurs the change has to be consistent it has to be sustainable and it has to happen in my opinion by the conversations you and i have off screen and with our children and with those people that i so want to write off and i don't and i'm afraid to talk with them because of my own um 
imperfections as a person. Be that my intolerance or my short-temperedness, which is not of value to people. It is not how we get things done. But I also want to be that guy that still stands up and says, all right, I'm not going to put up with your intolerances and your indifference. I'm not going to put up with your judgment, whether my family was a mask or not, or someone else's. You know, I want to be a stand-up guy. I mean, the hell, I'm just a bike rider, or retired one. But I think we can all make a difference. And it's sharing these thoughts and ideas, you know, and I can't wait to listen to this program, how it comes out, because we've covered so much good stuff. And I know Sparky will be great at this and, um, you know, picking this thing apart. But, you know, essentially, you know, Chris, I'm not a great advocate, maybe for myself and my own health. But I want to be a person that can continue to have conversations and answer questions about my health issues or help someone have that conversation where they explore their own shortcomings and their own differences be it a disability or otherwise, and how we can open up our own minds or reopen them up to conversations that make us better people and to get more people to want better people. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's great, Bobby, and, and I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing with us, you know, sharing who you are. It's our, our difficulties are not surface level. Oftentimes, I mean, people don't notice that you're blind. You you do a pretty good job of masking that. But I think that that's that's kind of the representation, right? I mean, that's some of what we've been talking about. Is that they might not get that, they might not see that in you. And what does that mean for us with regard to other people out there that that our challenges and our difficulties are, are not always evident no. to everybody. I and mean, we have to ask the question. We yeah. have to have yeah. the Don't assume. Right. You know, don't assume. And we don't know individual backgrounds. All these things, the unknown, we're so afraid. You know, we're so, we're so afraid. People live in fear about those that aren't complying. You know, those that voted a certain way, where you know, everybody gets so afraid of, of what we don't know. And what I do know, and I want to believe, and I challenge myself in this part of me being a better person, is that I don't care what shape, flavor, color you come in. It doesn't matter because literally I can't tell unless we're nose to nose. It's how do you treat me how do you treat my daughter you know and i figure within the first five minutes of most conversations we kind of know who we might be dealing with at least that's my my instincts typically but once i get past that first few minutes man i i do have a desire always to want to learn about that person and i want to contribute to them and me telling them about me is not contributing to their life. Is that by voicing who they are to me and having a conversation about who we are one-on-one, -on -one, we get to know people. 
uh, we get to value them more. So these decisions about masking or not masking, you know, uh, about supporting certain issues or movements in your community, your neighborhood, those become more unified with those one-on-one -on -one conversations where we learn about who we are versus what you are. It's awesome. Bobby, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Can't wait to do it again. Let's do it again. Get out there and ride. I know you've been doing it already, but keep going out there because that's uh, that's when you get to share, share your joy with everybody in the world. All my best to you and and to your and to your girls, to Heidi and Ella. Give them our best. Thank you Thank so you. much. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks to all of you for listening. And you know what? Uh, if you like what we're doing, please tell your friends about it. Please tell your friends to tune out on Wednesdays. Tell them that the that this this conversation will be archived on the One Revolution page on Facebook. It will also eventually be a podcast. So it'll be on YouTube. It'll be on Spotify. It'll be on Apple. All the usual suspects. We'd love it if you would follow us. If you would like us. And please tell your friends. We'll look forward to seeing you again. Thanks a ton. We'll be out. Thanks.